Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Embiid! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. Yes, this is actually the New Slant Podcast and not one of the other various pods that we've shared our feed with recently. So, as always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast is being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online and at Blue Chew. So, shout out to both of those wonderful companies for keeping our lights on. With me, as he is every week, my friend, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? So excited to talk about my favorite team, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, for once, I, I guess the Eagles are more contentious than... Oh, the Eagles are always more contentious than the Sixers, but uh, let's say the Sixers are, are ducking the uh, negative Fire. energy right now with the uh, the Jalen Hurts pick and that draft in general. So, But we're here today to talk about some... At some point later in the podcast, we're going to discuss... Uh, Elton Brand's conference call with reporters that he had on Tuesday afternoon that I was a part of, but there was nothing that was especially groundbreaking there, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Seamus and I today are going to talk about everyone's favorite subject in Philadelphia, the head coach and the head coaching position. Uh, And so the idea today is that we're not going to go through a list of every individual candidate that might be out there in the event that the Sixers move on from Brett Brown. But the idea is we're going to rank situations from our favorite to our least favorite. And, and those four choices will be as follows. Uh, option one is that Brett Brown stays the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers once again next season. Option two is that they hire a veteran head coach who has had coaching experience before so you can take your pick of names that'd be uh, Jeff Van Gundy, Tom Thibodeau, Mark Jackson, etc etc. They hire an outside assistant so it it might be someone who's unknown at this time it could be someone like a, a Becky Hammond someone like that or the fourth choice is that they hire an assistant who is already on the Sixers staff but is currently working under Brett Brown. So the big name there would be Ime Udoka, and then there are other guys like Kevin Young and and so forth. So those are the four options and scenarios that we are preparing for. And Seamus and I have blindly ranked these scenarios without telling each other which we would put at the top and which we would put at the bottom. So uh, Seamus, if you want to tell me what your first choice is out of those scenarios and why now is the time so i'm going with hire an outside assistant Uh, i think you know as we said this before with the gm search that never really happens uh, a couple summers back was that uh, with the young players and the young talent the sixers had on their roster 
their GM opening should have been one of the most tantalizing opportunities for executives that come open in the NBA in some time. Obviously, they, the Sixers didn't have a legitimate search. They just promoted Elton Brand with, from within. They went with that collaborative style front office while having some holdovers from the Brian Colangelo era. Obviously not what I would have preferred. And since then, it's proven to not have been you know the greatest strategy in the world. Uh, but the same can be said now to a lesser degree, given that you know there are some warts there. But the Sixers still have, you know, probably the best big man in the NBA and then another all-star forward slash guard. I don't want to call him a point guard, Ben Simmons, as well as some other talent on the roster. So it's really got to be an intriguing situation for a new assistant, for an up-and-comer to see, you know, maybe I'm the one who takes this team over the top. Maybe I'm the next Steve Kerr who maximizes the talent and can get these guys to play collectively. Look at the, you know... The Warriors is an obvious example there, and maybe, you know, I like I think Brett's a better coach than a Mark Jackson, but, you know, I think people have thrown out those comps before that, you know, Brett's the guy that kind of got them to play together in the first place, but maybe they need that, you know, extra person to put them over the top. Yeah, so I, I'm not saying that I disagree with you in that assessment. Here's the devil's advocate to all that. I, I think when people look at you know, like a, an assistant coach to come in that, that doesn't have NBA head coach experience. I think the the blueprint for that is like Nick Nurse is pr- pretty much the idea. Like he comes sure. in, he was he was an internal assistant for Toronto because he was a, an assistant under Dwayne Casey, I believe. Uh, but they promoted him, and I mean, he had coached all over the place. I, I don't, off the top of my head, remember all the teams he coached for, but a lot of teams in in Europe and then certainly he was successful in the G league. And then he gets handed this Toronto team that, you know, they were close, but didn't get over the top with DeRozan and Lowry as their best players. And, you know, Kawhi shows up and the rest is history. And I think Nick nurse has proven himself to be one of the best coaches in the league. I think he's super adaptable. He's got fresh ideas. The players obviously have a lot of buy-in, but I, I do think it's something to keep in mind when you're looking at a situation like that and thinking that this is an exciting opportunity for, you know, a Nick Nurse type guy, a guy who's just like waiting for their shot, is that this is, if it's not the most difficult coaching situation in the league, it, it's definitely up there because I think as talented as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are, they are at odds stylistically with each other. And so it's a very tough nut to crack, right? Like I think it's easy on the front office side for us to bang on the Sixers for the Al Horford signing because it went so poorly and in hindsight it looks obvious. But like you look at someone like Al Horford over his career and he's been adaptable. He's been able to play power forward next to somebody like Aaron Baines who is certainly not even in the same universe as Joel Embiid as a player, but because of that inherent structure and inherent fit issue between Ben and Joel, that compounds all the issues that Horford has sliding over to another spot. So the roster crunch that is in place here is going to make it very difficult for, you know, somebody that maybe is an untapped gem in the coaching market to really leverage the best of their abilities. You do have to play um basically two different styles to get the best out of these guys and that's that's hard to do and it's hard to build a cohesive 
offensive identity that way. But I agree with you. I, I do think that if they are going to make a coaching change in the off season, and you know, I, I think we've said on this podcast that that's probably the most likely outcome uh, of this season. I think they have to avoid getting sucked into a situation where, you know, they're just going through the people who we already know what they bring to the table. Unless one emerges that I guess is like a great fit for, you know, not just as a basketball mind, but also someone who they think is going to get through to Simmons and Embiid. And I don't know that that candidate exists. So I would rather take my chances with somebody that's unproven that maybe has the X and O's acumen to get this team where it needs to go. Are there any college coaches that would intrigue you as an option? Yeah, so I guess the the guy that always gets brought up is Jay Wright, correct? Like that's well, the, that's not where I was going, stuff. but I think he they will definitely give him a blank check and see if he you know bites. I severely doubt he will, but uh, I would bet literally anything that they make that call. Yeah, well, so that we would count him in this category, right? Yeah. Like he, he's not an unproven assistant, yeah, I mean, but because he's in college, that's a totally different. So the two guys I was thinking are guys who have had experience as NBA assistants, guys who've kind of flown under the radar for a variety of reasons, I think, uh, but had extensive assistant coaching histories are uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who even though he just took over Vanderbilt, that might be uh, something working against him where he might not want to just abandon that program immediately, but he was someone who served as an assistant with Toronto in 2015 and 2016, led their D-League team, the Raptors, I know five for a couple of years, and then spent the last two seasons uh, with Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies, as an assistant uh, after Dwayne Casey got fired. Now he's the head coach at Vanderbilt. He was someone who has talked about uh, when he was leading the D-League team just because Toronto was excelling at developing young players at that point in time as someone who you know could be uh, a legitimate coaching candidate in the league. So that's someone who, out of the two college coaches I had in mind, he's one of them. And there's another guy who has passed over frequently and frequently as a head coaching option, even though he had extensive experience, you know, almost 15 years worth uh, of NBA assistant coaching experiences is Patrick Ewing, who is now serving as the coach at his alma mater, Georgetown. And he's someone who worked for some really good teams. He worked for Orlando during that Dwight Howard effort where they reached the finals and had some really good teams. Uh, was an assistant in Houston uh, earlier on in the Daryl Morey era, and then played on these horn. Was an assistant under Steve Clifford and Charlotte, who Steve Clifford I think is a pretty good head coach. And even though Charlotte is kind of a team that's mired in mediocrity, uh, I think he maximized that roster pretty well. And I think he brings into that there's a respect level with him there that I th- that I believe that some of the new. Uh, new age hires, new assistants might not have a specific cachet that can reach players like Ben and Joel or Al. I'm not saying that they're, there's something wrong with them, but just in the sense that he's a commanding presence, he's a Hall of Famer, he's, player, he's a player that people are watching highlights of right now on TV in the last dance with those that 93 Knicks ball series or the Dream Team in 92. I think he has a commanding presence as well as the X's and O's experience of you know coaching in the NBA for almost two decades. So that's someone who uh, is definitely on my radar here as a potential outside hotter. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know the ins and outs of, you know, NBA assistants. There are, you know, Becky Hammond. Could they get, if they could get Becky Hammond, I'd do it in five seconds, but I'm not exactly sure what draft they could go. Ideally, the front office knows that that more so than me, 
But if we're looking outside of the box a little bit, those are two guys that I think kind of deserve consideration, if not just for the Sixers, maybe around the league. Yeah, so I, I think let's just assume in this exercise that uh, the front office is going to remain in place. I, I think something that I would keep I think an they eye will on, be. I think they will be. Yeah, I, I think something to keep an eye on in that scenario is if Elton Brand goes with a recent former player maybe in that chair. Like that, I guess – a different example of like maybe what they would shoot for in that scenario is somebody like a Ty Lue where, you know, I think a lot of people dismiss his contributions to those Cavs teams simply because it's like, you know, it's the LeBron show in Cleveland. And that's fair, I think, to a certain extent. But there are stories that have come out in the years since they won that title in 2016 that part of why Lou was able to get that group to galvanize was that he was willing to challenge LeBron in practice. And it was a thing where, you know, LeBron respected him enough to allow him to do that, number one. And Lou was bold enough to go up to a guy who's got more cachet than he does in that organization by a long shot and get in his face. So I think that's the sort of assistant that you're looking for. I think that being a former player probably helps there. But being a former player is not the only qualifier like obviously you need to have the x's and o's experience etc etc i think somebody that i I believe is in the running for the bulls job but has been you know long rumored to be a guy who might get a head coaching job is adrian griffin who i believe he's currently the lead he's been an assistant all over the place but he's currently the lead assistant under nurse in toronto and I think like every summer when they have interviews, his name tends to pop up. Now, here's what I would say about when the Sixers hired Brett. I believe so. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. But here's here's the thing that I would say about him that I would also apply this to both Stackhouse and Ewing, who certainly have been rumored for years. I am always wary when someone's name is in the coaching mill for too long, like when they continually pop up and they don't get those jobs, it might just be a case that they keep getting beat out by good candidates and that maybe they should have gotten the job and they would have done better in those situations. But the example I'm thinking of here is like Brian Shaw for a long time was a guy who, you know, he he worked under Phil Jackson in LA and he's like the second coming. He's going to be this great head coach. There's lots of buzz coming out of there. And then when he finally got his shot as an NBA head coach, he was – let's say thoroughly mediocre and even that might be uh giving him a little more praise than he deserves and so uh, i i think with this it's almost better off if they would hire someone that you know nobody's really thinking about and they did find you know an untapped gem somewhere now i don't know who that person is i don't know what tree they would pluck them off of i think certainly Becky Hammond fits maybe into that description. I, I don't know. Like, and like, again, I would run through a wall for whatever coach, but I, I do wonder, and this is like always going to be a thing until the first uh, female head coach happens. Like how does everybody respond to that? That matters from the franchise player down to the end of the bench in an ideal world. You would love to see them, rally behind whoever the coach is and that she could hold them accountable. She's got nothing but rave reviews and in, in San Antonio. But I do wonder how much of that is, 
you know, the power and the respect that Pop has versus, you know, if, if she's the lead voice, I, I do wonder if there are some guys that that react poorly to that. And obviously that's the wrong thing to do. Let's make that clear. But those are things, those are questions that would have to be answered if, if she indeed, or, or another uh, woman candidate for that matter, finally gets the a crack at an MBA job. I'm, I'm interested to see how that would play out. To your point regarding guys like Ewing, Stackhouse, Griffin, and then Shaw getting frequent, being assistants long time and getting passed over, I do want to point out, I think there's something to be said the way that African-American assistants are passed over frequently in the coaching process. And I think that's something that really hampered Ewing, who should have been a head coach in the NBA long ago. And, you know, we might see similar situations where those guys may get pigeonholed more into you know, college roles where their, you know, their past playing experience holds cachet and they may be better, you know, presumed to be better recruiters. But I think uh, I wouldn't want to get into the mindset of, oh, this guy's been an assistant for 15 years. There's a reason he hasn't been a head coach yet, when in reality, there could be other factors there that are playing in to front offices and ownership's minds. Yeah, that's a, it's a very important point. And I, I think when you look at all the mediocre and less than mediocre white head coaches that have gotten chances and not just gotten one chance, but multiple chances in many cases that it's very important to bring that up that, you know, that's something that, and I'd like perfect example, not at the coaching level, but managerially in Chicago, the Mark Eversley hire, he's the first black GM in bulls history in the history of that franchise. That's the first time that they've had, a black GM running the team. And so that there are a lot of barriers that, you know, people of color had to deal with during the hiring process that that's something that's always going to matter here. So that's, uh, Griffin is a name I would keep an eye on if he doesn't take that bulls job. Um, cause you know, like I said, he's gotten interviews over and over and over again. And I think he's always going to be in the mix. He certainly worked under some, some good coaches and I'm sure even if he wasn't an elite candidate to start with, I'm sure he has absorbed a ton of knowledge over the time that Absolutely. he's been in the league. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's move on to number two. I don't know if we will uh, branch out from here. Like if one of us was, was one new, choice over the other. Was higher outside your number one choice? Or what, like what they yeah, should I, do? I, yeah. The outside hire of a, an un quote unquote unproven option is okay. number one for me. That I think that that is pretty much by far the the number one, even if there is some downside, potential downside to it. I'm not in favor so what, of Brett coming back, but I would still say him staying would be my number two option with some caveats. Uh, in terms of former head coaches that aren't employed, I don't want anyone like Tom Thibodeau or Mark Jackson. I don't think either of those guys could maximize these guys talent not even to speak of you know what they would do uh, in terms of team chemistry i think tom thibodeau would be a horrendous fit there uh with already some of the murky dynamics that are at play in the sixers locker room so he's not someone i want i think mark jackson stinks i wouldn't want him but uh if somehow uh mike d'antoni were to become available uh depending on how houston you know how they end their season if there is an end of the season or you know, what decision they make, that's someone I would kind of hop over Brett and 
say I would want on this team. And coincidentally, he used to be an assistant under Brett when the Colangelo's first came into power. Uh, but for now, I'd have to say because there is a lot of uncertainty there where I don't like retread coaches. I don't really like them in most sports. Uh, that I'd rather just kind of stick it with Brett for one more year, see, you know, if anything can change with a different offseason plan of attack, a different, you know, time off from the game where they haven't played in two months uh, or, you know, a month, two months, and then maybe be able to reevaluate themselves, you know, this summer if they come back to play or ultimately in the fall or possibly even winter. Well, so um, let me just make sure that so you have Brett staying I'm sorry, as yeah, the that number wasn't super two clear. option. Yeah, that'd be my number two option, and the only way, obviously, my retread is my third option. Uh, but the only way that would bump up for me is if someone like D'Antonio was available. Are you? So you're not you. You would have an internal promotion last. Yes, is what you're telling me. Yeah, that's see, that's surprising to me. So. I said well, is Udoka I mean it depends on if he's well let's go on what do you say about right Brett well Stein? so that that's the debate to me it's like and I was split on this and I ultimately went with I, I think Brett staying is the second best option and the reason that I went that way is because you know that to me comes down to and, and look I like a lot of the guys on that sixer staff I think certainly they have you know, potential in their own right, but really the only guy who jumps out is like a, this guy could be the head coach of this team next year is Yudoka. And so basically you're saying like yeah. the, the argument here is for you go with the devil you know or a guy who's already on his staff that we don't know a ton about him and he's really the only promotion candidate. And so if you say – higher internally is number two you're effectively saying Udoka over Brown definitely and you know Udoka gets rave reviews I think he does have good relationships with players I think him being a recent player helps him a lot in terms of relating to these guys and maybe the fact that he was able to play with those great Spurs teams where he saw what drove Duncan and this year he's been the defensive coordinator so he certainly has had a lot of responsibility I think there are a lot of positives on his resume that you could point to and say yeah he should be the guy but I think if you're telling me okay you can only pick basically between him and Brett that I I personally would just ride it out with the person that you know rather than going with the unknown but um, I'm sure a lot. I think the the answer among a lot of fans is that they would rather they would take Udoka straight up over Brown. And and I can't necessarily tell them they're wrong. Obviously, yeah. we're all dealing with incomplete information here. I don't know what he would look like as the head coach, but I think if someone like Udoka or like let's just throw him out for a second, if somebody was on the staff currently that was really getting through to these guys that was able to bring a level of accountability and night to night commitment. If someone like that was on the staff, whether that was the head coach or one of the assistants, I think you would have seen that shine through more than it has this season. And so, you know, maybe if they replace the lead voice that changes, but I just, I don't, I have not heard of, I have not seen, I just, I don't believe there's evidence 
that another member of that staff is doing enough to offset whatever the problems uh, with Brett leading the team are. So I agree with you that I would go with uh, the devil you know or the devil you don't. And, you know, I, I think it's certainly debatable. But Brett has enough positive qualities that I, I think that's the that's probably the right answer. Yeah, it might be different if someone like Lloyd Pierce was still here, who I think got through to players and obviously has gone on to be a head coach himself with the Atlanta Hawks. And that's someone who, if he was still here, might change my rankings there, but obviously not the case in this hypothetical situation. Yeah, and look, I, I think, so let's stick on Brett for a second. Because sure. anytime we bring him up, it's obviously a big hot button issue. I think he has strengths as a coach that are hard to quantify in terms of what we see on the court, like dealing with the the backdoor politicking and behind the scenes stuff and, and man management has been very tough here over his tenure. And, you know, it's, it's transformed from keeping guys motivated to getting stars to get along to dealing with somebody like Jimmy Butler coming here to now this year, having to deal with, you know, Ben's still not shooting. Al Horford is regressing. And what do we do with this situation and, and juggling the minutes. And like, I, I think he's done a better job than a lot of people think. I, I certainly don't think he's in the top, top level of coaches. He's not someone that's, he's not going to be the reason that they win. It is a team that most of the time when they win, it's based on their talent. And so that is, that's something that you could hold against him. I do think, it's been problematic, his relationship with the Simmons family. I think as we talked about when we discussed the Jackie Mack article recently, yeah, the level of closeness that he has to that situation where, you know, maybe he doesn't feel as empowered as he should to, to bench Ben and to wield his power a little bit. I think that's a problem. And I don't think that that's, a, that's like the cat's out of the bag. You can't really fix that problem at this point. But I, I do think people maybe misrepresent his overall contributions to the team. Like he, No, he is not a ceiling raiser. No, he's not in the, the Spolstra, Carlisle, Stevens, like Popovich, that type of group. He's, he's not approaching that. But he has made good playoff adjustments. They generally are one of the better defensive teams in the league every year. And they have a, a a group of personnel that is tough to build a coherent vision around. So if he was the coach next year, I would be surprised. But if he is, it, it's not it's not a total disaster. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and as someone who's definitely been critical of Brett in the past, probably more so than you, sometimes you have to just kind of stick with what you got and there aren't really a ton of options out there. Yeah, again, this is, it's all about what they can what they can bring in like if you if you're if your idea of upgrading is like hey we hired scott skiles then obviously brett is a better choice it's always about what you can go out and get and you know I, i think something interesting to consider while we're on this point is how appealing is this job to a coach like obviously you brought up in the beginning that as a young assistant type that this is an attractive opportunity. If you're somebody who's been a head coach before that's being brought in to be, 
I guess more of a disciplinarian, the no nonsense Tibbs type guy. If you're that guy, do you want to come to a situation where it, it looks like your two best players don't fit? And on top of that, you are going to most likely be blamed for any major problem the team has. Because I, I think Joel Embiid's popularity, Ben Simmons's popularity, the fact that there's been no real stars in Philadelphia for a long time uh, from a basketball perspective, I think that skews this situation where, and the head coach always takes the blame in Philadelphia no matter what, but I, I think this is a unique situation in how much pressure is on the coach specifically and how much blame they get proportionate to their actual contributions to the team. Yeah, I think it's more appealing to, again, a younger first-time head coach or an outside hire, however we're delineating things, than, you know, again, Mark Jackson or Scott Skiles, Thibs, whatever. Yeah, and so I, I think the question there is, like, if – if it's Thibodeau or Mark Jackson's last chance <clears throat> to be a head coach, is that the is that who they want to pin their hopes on? A, a big man who you know obviously has his health issues and don't know if his body's going to hold up, and then Ben Simmons, who has been great and durable outside of this back injury, but has a real fit problem in every permutation of a roster that you could build. So. I think that's something to keep in mind as we we handicap this here. We're going to take a uh, a quick ad break and then we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about the other potential options they would have on the coaching market. So guys, I'm here to tell you about our partner Bet Online. With no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, though there is Korean baseball going on. If you guys are uh, keeping track of yeah. that. You might think there's nothing to bet on, and you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. So just use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings you performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Those are two of the worst things of all time. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost. And once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging, which is obviously the most important aspect there. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. Just 5 bucks shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right. 
And we are back to talk some more about coaching. So the two options that we have left, well, to recap, uh, both of us went with the same order so far. The number one option would be in the event that a change is made, by the way, just clarifying here. The number one option for both of us was hiring an outside assistant. It could be any number of people. And number two was sticking with Brett Brown for another year and, and letting the chips fall where they may. So remaining are hiring a quote-unquote retread. So that could come in the form of Tom Thibodeau, Mark Jackson, or even someone like Tyron Liu, who I, I believe is currently a Clippers assistant, if I'm remembering correctly. And the other option would be promoting someone internally. So one of the current assistant coaches on staff moving into the head chair and going from there. So Seamus, how would you rank the the two remaining options? Would you rather take your chances with Yudoka or one of the other guys? Or do you want to have Tom Thibodeau's red angry face on your television and in your face all the time? So I was originally going to go retread, but I was kind of working on the assumption that Yudoka might not be there in terms of he might have already left for a different job. And that would have left me with, you know, one of the lower tier coaches, however you want to phrase that. So I didn't really want that. I think that guy could be easily overwhelmed and kind of bullied. Uh, but if it's just Yudoka, if this is basically, do we want the retread or Yudoka specifically, I'm going to go with him just because of you know the reputation he carries around the league. He obviously has a stronger connection with the team than I think some of the, again, quote-unquote lower assistants might uh and i also just hate the idea of having this you know former coach who flamed out in one or possibly two other places come in you know have a quote-unquote agenda be sort of a tough guy that's not really going to work with these guys okay so we we ended up with the exact same order which is somehow not surprising to me but so let's let's talk about this while we're on the subject is there a quote-unquote retread that has been a head coach previously that you think stands out as the best option? They don't even necessarily have to be coaching right now, as is the case with someone like a Mark Jackson or either of the Van Gundy brothers. They could be an assistant elsewhere. It's a dealer's choice here. Is there somebody who you think is a, uh, a top candidate here? No. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no uh, I mean there's I can't no think of acceptable right. retread then I mean if you were to come up with one I would potentially say yes but there's there's other coaches around the league that I would like that aren't in that like that top you know pop Stevens Carlisle tier that you know I don't think they're necessarily leaving but you know I think Steve Clifford's a great coach I think I, I would prefer to see him here rather than Thibodeau or Mark Jackson again I made my case for D'Antonio earlier if he were to have a falling out with Houston, he's been there a while. It could have just been worn out as welcome. There have been talks about that. At least there were uh, during the course of the actual season before all of this happened. Okay, so let me throw a name at and you. And with some I, names. I, he's a pretty divisive figure, at least on Twitter. I don't know how people receive him generally. If Dave Yeager was the, the retread candidate, what would you think about the Sixers hiring him? Yeah, no. So, like, here's the trouble with somebody like him. I, I think he has less of the – he doesn't get the same treatment as someone like Tibbs or yeah, or Mark Jackson, partially because he's just not as big of a name. And he's been – I don't want to say successful because I think he's below 500 for his career, but he's done a good job of bringing 
bad franchises to respectability, but always seems to flame out way quicker than people are expecting. Like I, I believe after the uh, was it yeah last season the Kings had their best record in like fourteen years, fifteen years. And they still decided to get rid of him and bring in Luke Walton, who then immediately was being accused of sexual harassment or sexual assault, I believe. So that shows you that, you know, he didn't get along with Vladi Divac there. I don't think he got along with the powers that be at, in Memphis. Memphis is a little dysfunctional, so, too. So, the like, the vibes there are not a lot different than what we're talking about with someone like a Mark Jackson, where, you know, maybe – He's successful and helped develop guys. But if the cost of that is that he alienates himself from the best player on the team or best player is plural, that's just not something that the Sixers can afford to do. And I think the the primary issue with all of these, you know, former head coaches that are currently not in those positions is that there's a reason that most of them are out of a job and in many cases, it's because they ride their stars too hard. Or in Thibodeau's case, he does that on top of uh, playing them too many minutes. Their personality clash kind of issues. I think the only one that stands out to me, and you know, I don't know that he's an X's and O's wizard. I think he's better than people give him credit for. Is Ty Lue, who I've brought up multiple times, that you know he found a way to make it work with with big egos and he did introduce different concepts on that Cavs team that helped them beat a, a juggernaut in the Warriors and they were obviously very good for a sustained period of time there with him leading the way. So I I would be interested in him amongst the retreads. I don't know if there's anybody else that that really jumps out at me. I think the rest of them, like even if you go to somebody like a, a David Blatt type, he obviously could not get along with with LeBron and Kyrie there and I just I don't see how that sort of deal would work do you think it's an apt comp to call Dave Yeager the millennial Doug Collins or like a, a Scott Skiles with a better reputation maybe because yeah. I mean he Scott Skiles like and Doug Collins are effectively the same guy they they get results immediately but burn out so quickly that yeah. uh he was there three years each, and that was like the Doug thing where he was only at any of these teams yep. for just three years before spontaneously combusted. Um, Tyron Lue, it'd be so weird if he was the coach of the Sixers, given his legacy in Philadelphia. His opening presser would be nothing but questions about the step over. I feel like no one would respect him in the city. <laughs> I'm being serious. I, um, like, I think that could be a holdup in hiring him in terms of the way they view optics as a franchise. Even what if he do you was think a prime about... candidate. I mean, if he's a good coach, I would just hire him. I don't give a shit. But yeah, I, think, right. I think the team, I think that the franchise would care. What do you think about either of the Van Gundy brothers? You can give me your thoughts on both, but would either one of them Stan. do it for you? Yeah, I think his time as an announcer has been more progressive uh, than a lot of people would have assumed given the Van Gundy name and the way Jeff is kind of like an asshole about the modern NBA and kind of shits on it. And when it's like, why are you even calling these games if you don't like any of these players and the way the game's played? So, you know, I think Jeff is kind of fine in a vacuum, but I wouldn't want him, you know, coaching my team. He's fine as a coach in a vacuum, but I wouldn't want him coaching my team in 2020, specifically not the Sixers. But Stan, I think kind of, 
gets pigeonholed a little bit in that Fibs mold, but I think he's a little bit different and maybe his time away from head coaching has kind of altered some of his feelings and given him new perspective. So we're talking about all the retread options we've kind of discussed. Stan would be the guy for me. Well, and I think part of the problem with Stan too is that his reputation is very tainted because he took over, you know, like president of basketball ops responsibilities in Detroit, his last yeah. stop. And that, so like, yeah, maybe he's not the best player evaluation guy, but none of these guys in 2020 should be running the front office and coaching a basketball team. It's just an impossible thing to do and to do well. I do think you might be giving Jeff Van Gundy a harder time than he deserves. I know he's been out of coaching he's for a long out, he's time been out and for he wouldn't long. be, he wouldn't be anywhere near the top of my list, but he has been involved with team USA coaching younger guys. And so he's still been, I don't think he's as out of touch with the game as maybe his on air persona lets on. Now, maybe that's wrong. Maybe he gets put in charge of an NBA team and it's, like rock fight basketball the way they played in the 90s but I do think he's probably a little better than people think I don't think he's the the solution to their problems certainly George Bush was president the last time he was a head coach in the NBA I couldn't even tell you what the last year he was 2007 that's what I'm saying yeah that's that's a long time so yeah the, the Van Gundy brothers I'm not especially bullish on either one of them. I agree with you that Stan is probably better, although I think he has had he's had issues on some level getting along with uh, mer- mercurial big men, which doesn't exactly... <laughs> doesn't bode well here. Bode well for this particular franchise situation. Uh, okay, so no, no real arguments there, which, you know... A little surprised. I guess not that surprising. We tend to think alike on a lot of things, despite you viewing things from the fan side. So let's we'll wrap it up with uh, Elton Brand's conference call that he had on Tuesday. Effectively, it was 30 minutes of the same questions that every other coach, GM, executive in sports has been asked. When is the league coming back? They can't say. What do you think it'll look like? They can't say. What are your players doing while they're working out? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and so there wasn't anything particularly enlightening. I guess the the things that stood out the most for me were more on the draft side where Bran admitted that they might be more willing to take someone who I don't want to say is a project but maybe needs some seasoning rather than a Matisse Thibel four-year type player so that their approach to the draft might change this year and then there was a comment about ownership where there was a question I believe it was from uh, Dan Gelston of the Associated Press asked if the salary changes that are going to happen based on you know the loss of revenue the league has if there's been any indication that ownership might change the mandate and might change what they're willing to to pony up for this team. And so I'll just read the quote. He said, I think it's a little early to speculate on what it is. I know we want to contend year after year, and that's going to be our goal. 
I can't speculate there. I don't know how the ownership group, the managing partners are doing personally, but I know they want to win and they've given me the green light. I think they'll continue to do that to figure out ways that we can win. And so the takeaway for me there is, you know, I think if ownership was confident that it wasn't going to matter how the salary cap and the apron and all these various things shake out, that Elton Brand would probably know by now that, yeah, they're just going to spend whatever it it takes to build a team. And uh, so the Josh Harris has been pretty adamant that he's going to spend into the tax to build a winning team every time it's come up. Well, hike up the prices on season ticket holders to afford Al, Al Horford's friggin' contract as ticket reps specifically told season <laughs> ticket holders. I just don't know that I believe that. And then look, why would they in, say that? Uh, like in this, well, not even that. I'm saying broadly, I don't know that I believe they're going to spend what it takes oh, to keep this team. And Brand, it was the most hesitant on the call that Brand was. I think in most of his answers, he was pretty forceful and pretty direct, even when it was stuff that is surrounded by uncertainty. But on this topic, there was like you could hear it in his voice that there was, you know, there's not as much certainty there. And so, you know, he obviously can't keep track of Joshua Harris's pockets during a, a, a pandemic like this. He's got a lot of other things to worry about. But that's the first time that that's come up on on record and it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement or like a strong statement about what's going to happen. And I think, and this didn't come up on the call, but when you combine not just the revenue loss from these potential lost games and altered postseason, but you consider the China fiasco from last year that is going to cut into league revenue, there might be significant changes to the salary cap that people like a lot's been written about this already but i don't know that people have prepared for where we're headed here so i mean ultimately we're going to see and maybe they will indeed pony up but if the sixers decide or the sixers ownership group decides they don't want to pay what they were going they were planning on paying before then that opens up a lot of conversations about well are they going to trade Josh Richardson this offseason before they lose him in free agency next summer? Do they need to get off of Horford's money immediately rather than trying to wait out a, a best deal if they want to trade him? I think there are a lot of a lot of potential concerns there. So that was what stood out the most to me today. Yeah. Um, can't doesn't really inspire any confidence that they're going to continue building their team as this big money big market team uh it's just a shame that they went in with the wrong player to be that tax paying team with al horford i've made my thoughts on al no very well known on this podcast <laughs> throughout the season uh and they went in on the wrong player and now they're cheap cheapening out because that player didn't provide the immediate results that were needed to have success to justify paying all this money in the luxury tax and extra money and you know they're just going to cheap out because they completely fucking whiffed on the Horford pick, and now Sixers fans are paying for it literally uh, in terms of hikes in ticket prices and figuratively because the team is probably going to get worse from here. So on the positive front, but so we don't. End but, on I mean, everyone's totally, alive. Uh, <laughs> Zaire Smith is alive, so that's that's a positive thing, right? 
everyone is alive. It seems as though the players are finding ways to keep bonding during all this, which I think is good. That you know, that I wish they would have bonded more on the court, so I would have had a better team to write about, and so you didn't go through so much agony this year, Seamus. But you know, a little Zoom happy hour sounds good. Sounds like they're uh, they're bonding a little bit. And Brand did say, and these are obviously famous last words, but he did say that Joel Embiid has been working out, he's been in the gym, he's been asking about times that he can have his trainer come in with him. And so if we were to take Elton at his word there, that certainly shows a level of commitment from Joel to make sure that he's not coming back out of shape. Although, you know, we've heard this before, and all it takes is Joel missing a practice or a couple games at one point, and you know maybe all bets are off there. So it, it's something that sounds nice in theory, but we'll have to wait and see until July or August or whenever the hell we see these guys back on the court again. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be that soon, to be honest, but who knows? Yeah. Well, so here's what I would say, and the reason I said July or August, I think the sense that I've gotten from talking to people around the league is that they are going to this season will resume at one point. Like I, I don't think that it doesn't even sound like they're they're having real conversations yet about a possibility other than that. Now, with that being said, I think there are, you know, a lot of different options on the table. Everything from they just resume the season where it was to they have a play-in tournament for the lower seeds of the playoffs to shortening the series that they're in. I, I don't think that they have been really allowed to rule out anything yet. And I do think if they do this, that it is going to be a remote location scenario where whether that's Las Vegas, whether that's Disney World, as we've discussed uh off of the podcast, Seamus, some of the options that are are floating around out there. I do think that a fanless remote location resume season is what we're looking at here if the NBA comes back. And I think the the two goals, as I understand them right now, are finish this season regardless of what they have to do to do so. Certainly while making sure everybody's safe and healthy. And then goal number two is bringing next season back at a time when they can have the most fans possible. So I I think naturally bringing this season back is going to push back the date. And I think the goal for next season will be, you know, they're going to try to bring in, start bringing in fans as soon as they can. So we'll see if that all happens in practice. I think certainly the lack of a vaccine will play a a factor there, as is the lack of widespread testing in many areas around the country, certainly in states with NBA teams. So everyone's just making shit up at this point. But I, I do believe at some point that this season is going to come back unless there is a, a dramatic turn in, in what's happening in this country. And, you know, as we've seen before, that is certainly possible. So that's all I got, Seamus. Do you want to move on to our final segment? It's the only final segment that we ever have. The loser of the week. And I don't know who the natural candidate is, so you might have to enlighten me on this one. Isaiah Thomas. Oh, man, that's a good one because he has been getting pummeled in the last dance. 
Yeah, I think I'm sure everyone who's listening to this is also watching the last dance. So obviously, uh, MJ and several other players did not want him as part of the dream team uh, because of some of his cowardice and dirty play uh, in the late 80s. And obviously, he was never on the team. They took John Stockton over him, who uh, was a better point guard, too. So not that it really mattered. So I'm going to branch off of that, and I'll tell you that my loser of the week is anyone who actually lived through Jordan's career and, and, you know, either read about it or learned about it closely because I don't think we're getting new stuff from this documentary necessarily. Certainly the packaging is great. I've been thoroughly entertained by the, was it six episodes we've gotten now, three nights of two hours each. I'm enjoying it a lot as a fan of basketball and someone who once live sports back in his life certainly but i i think most of this is just covering the same ground that has been covered elsewhere like the the example that i would use is that there was a great dennis rodman 30 for 30 that espn did and that did a better job of you know telling the story of dennis rodman and and how his life was lived and the, the trials and tribulations that he went through, whereas that was just kind of squished into a single episode of this series. And so I I think the attempt to do this on the entire Bulls run and squeeze so much is to the disservice of all of it. And and on top of that, as I think we discussed last podcast, I I think the fact that Jordan has had such a powerful say in what was released has cheapened some of it like and i i highlighted the gambling stuff specifically on twitter and people People got got mad mad. but it's not just about that it's about you know like it's connected to the gambling in that what i am interested in is you know we know michael jordan is this apex level competitor and he's one of the greatest athletes arguably has the greatest career of any professional athlete ever but we don't know much about, okay, what is that? How does that manifest in Michael's other relationships? And what are the people that that impacted negatively? What do they have to say? Like he had a very prominent and very costly divorce from his first wife. He had sons that their games were billed as, wow, these are Michael Jordan's sons playing on ESPN. They're going to follow in their father's footsteps. And they got humiliated in some of those big games on tv like how was his family impacted by all this maybe we get to that eventually but we haven't seen that how are other relationships in his life impacted uh by his competitive drive and this like singular focus on his career and and on top of that how are teammates who who didn't make it through the fire with him the guys who were left behind the the craig hodges of the world who He had a a very powerful protest that he got blackballed from the league for. There are a lot of guys in that story that are are not part of this story. And so that's the stuff that I was hoping to get out of this. I guess I was a little too optimistic. But I I, I say that those people are the loser of the week while still understanding that it's a a hell of a lot better than having no sports entertainment to turn to. Absolutely. So that's my soliloquy on The Last Dance. This has been another episode of the New Slant Podcast. 
we thank you guys for joining us as always and uh hopefully something happens in the next week for us to talk about but until then we'll catch you next time see you guys (laughs) see ya